just a reminder, if this is your first seminar, uh, welcome, but just mute your mics. You don't mind if you're not uh, panelists. Wow, didn't know you were cracking down, Josh. Laying down the law. Uh, an authoritarian, that's what I am. Yeah, it's give, give, them, give them an inch and just, there goes your personal freedoms. <laughs> right. Talk about horror and supernatural. Hafton, it's all yours. Take her away, sir. Sounds good. Well, um, thanks and uh, welcome everyone to the horror and the supernatural in gaming. Um, it's another panel hosted by the KW Gamers uh, and it's being recorded. So I'm just going to ask anyone that's not a panelist to uh, mute yourself. Um, and uh, just if you have any questions, if you can post those to the GM questions tab, um, that would help keep things uh, clean. You can discuss things over in the, the seminar chat. Um, so I also wanted to just make a bit of a quick disclaimer that the panel, um, it could touch on a bunch of dark topics, so uh, listener discretion is advised. And also, before we get too deep into the discussion, I wanted to mention that we are going to try to avoid uh, questions directly about safety at the gaming table, because um, it can really just take up a whole discussion of its own. And there's all kinds of good resources out there, like the X card, lines and veils, talking to your players, that kind of stuff. Um, so I encourage you to look into that at your own leisure and just remember that everyone is responsible for being good to each other, whether you're at the gaming table or not. Um, yeah, so that, with that out of the way, my name is Healthphone, and uh, I'd like to introduce our horrific panelists. Um, yeah, so I'll just call you guys out, and if you could uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your relationship with horror and supernatural, and what your favorite type of horror is. So Josh, let's start with you. Hey, so my name is Josh. I've been GMing for over 20 years now. Um, you know what? Honestly, I didn't do a whole lot of horror gaming in the beginning. I was more of traditional fantasy Dungeons and Dragons Pathfinder type. Um, and what ended up happening was a couple of years ago, I just really, I guess I got into Lovecraft um, and the horror. There's some movies, some things that just kind of pointed me in that general direction. And I started to sort of dabble and experiment with different uh, different systems. So I got into that and I really kind of took a liking to the, to the horror genre. And, uh, and I really, I'm a big fan. Nice. So how about, uh, how about you, Leah? I am something of a baby cam. I've only started doing live games relatively recently, but before that I was doing play play posts and very much into the supernatural side of the horror and supernatural. Nice. And my favorite type of horror is ghost stories. Ooh, good stuff. I will definitely be um, asking you about some supernatural stuff later on. And how about you, Gavin? Um, so, hi, I'm Gavin, and uh, been GMing for a while. In terms of horror, uh, I'm actually a, a pretty big horror whip. I don't like most horror movies. Uh, I'm good with fiction, I'm good with RPGs, but I tend towards more of an action horror, more of a supernatural bent sometimes than horror. Uh, for favorite genre, I'm going to say Monster of the Week. Uh, so we're talking about that kind of episodic group of monster hunters gets together, fights a monster, uh, next week does it all again kind of thing. Uh, that's really where I have a lot of fun, and you can get a lot of different types of folklore in there, which is really something I enjoy. Nice. Sounds good. Um, yeah, so there have been a bunch of questions asked and a bunch of thumbs up. Um, so the one that uh, I wanted to start with uh, was from Alpha. So there's an argument that says good horror has to be enabled or supported through the game system, kind of like Call of Cthulhu. Um, how do you disprove? Yeah, how do you disprove this? 
Or how do you bring terror into a game that does not inherently contain horror? So um, I'm going to just go ahead and ask Leah that one. You need a system for it. I think you can have horror games in most systems, but the, the thing that you need to pay attention to is atmosphere. Atmosphere is what really makes a horror game versus pretty much any other genre. You can have werewolves and vampires in anything, and they're just urban fantasy, unless you want to put all of the extra tropes on top of it to make it scary, per se. Very cool. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, how about you, Josh? So yeah, you can definitely dabble in, in horror. So I guess it depends on the type of horror you're looking for. So there are horror settings in Dungeons & Dragons, for example. But I think one of the key components of horror, as Leah said, is atmosphere. But uh, more than that is vulnerability. So there are a lot of systems that really reinforce that. Um, but it isn't necessarily something that you you have to have necessarily. Um, I, I always kind of am a fan of, of, of including those types of things um, in other types of systems, but it's just certain systems lend themselves better than others. Okay. That makes sense. And yeah, definitely Call of Cthulhu gives a whole lot of vulnerability to characters. <laughs> and it's not just, just that with the characters. I think it's just that's, that's a good sign of, of horror itself. It's just that's a key to it, I find, oftentimes, is vulnerability. If you want a true horror setting. For sure. Uh, how about you, Gavin? Um, yeah, so I'll even go a little further and say that uh, I don't believe that all systems can do horror well. Um, sure, I, I will absolutely admit that you can do horror in any system. I mean, I can take a skateboard out on the 401 and call myself a vehicle, but it's probably not going to go so great. Uh, to me, horror, as Josh said, it really relies on that sense of vulnerability, and some games are not built for that. The other thing that horror really relies on is a sense of the unknown, which means in a horror game, whatever thing you're facing, the player should have absolutely no way other than maybe some in-game knowledge they put together to identify what it is they're looking at. And yes, you can do that with D&D if you're willing to reskin everything, but the reality is there are known rules and mechanics because they're generally the same for the GM and for the players. That's another hurdle in getting core into a game where the rules system is so extensively kind of mapped out and known by both sides. Uh, the other thing I'll say is even supernatural is hard to do sometimes in these types of systems because the systems assume that the players have access to magical and supernatural power, sometimes to the same extent or more than the forces on the other side of the table. To me, a good supernatural game is one where uh, you probably have an imbalance in that power, or at the very least, your side is the only one with power, and nobody else knows what's going on. Uh, so for a good supernatural game, you need something where the vast majority of people, or aliens, or sentient beings out there, or whatever, are unaware of the supernatural aspects, and some systems just don't do well for that. I would go farther than that, but it, it's one thing It's really easy, and it comes up in horror media constantly, where a movie's great until the third act, when the monster is just a thing to be killed, right? Yep. And, and, it's, and that just ruins it. How many movies, how many books does it get to the point where, like, wow, this, is great. this movie was great, this book was great, until, you know, you saw the monster. It's that sort of, like, it's the dribs and drabs in the like the questions you know what one of the best things to do is to like dribble things out and let players 
run wild with their own imagination because they'll come up with anything more horrifying than anything once it's revealed. Yeah, and I would add to I find systems that are very combat centric have a hard time with horror because Josh hit it exactly on the head. These systems assume that at some point you're going to see the creature and you're going to fight the creature and the victory comes through combat. Interesting. So it's almost like the like the horror kind of comes from like the the pacing of the game, um, less less so of the mechanics. Um, and of course, he knows the vulnerability, right? So, yes, for sure. And, and I can make arguments about the mechanics as well, but uh, I don't want to chew up too much time. Yeah, no worries. So well, yeah, we'll move on to another question then. Um, so this one's from Alex. Well, too little horror may have played a losing interest, but too scary and they may be reaching for the X card. What would you describe as the optimal level of horror to have in a horror game? Um, so let's start with uh, let's start with you again, Gavin. Okay. Uh, so I think the big thing for me is that a good horror game shouldn't have a level. Uh, you should be constantly kind of trying to go up and down, up and down, where you know you show them something scary and then you back off for a while, and then you creep back up with some foreshadowing, showing something else scary, and I think that's good sort of good narrative structure and maybe Leah is our, our resident librarian can back me up if I'm right about that but also what it does is it makes it much much easier to gauge your player's level of comfort uh, because you're not riding at that baseline and either they're getting desensitized or they're getting stressed out because you're going up and down it's a lot easier to get a read off of them as to you know are they into it are they disconnecting are they starting to look stressed and because it's going to go up and down anyway if they're starting to look stressed you know Maybe you've done what you need to do at this point, or maybe it's just time to back off and bring the attention back up again at a later point. So that would be my recommendation, is keep that level of horror moving, and it makes it much easier to gauge where your players are. That makes sense. So how about you, Leah? I absolutely agree. I think it goes on with the, the idea that like, reaching for the X card shouldn't be your first sign that someone maybe is too uncomfortable to be there. You can definitely, if you have a chance to read faces and stuff, back off a little bit when it's getting too much. That's a good point, for sure. And uh, how about you, Josh? Well, one of the big things about GMing that they don't write in any of the books is that there's a, bit, a large part of GMing is, is reading the room and social. Uh, leaning into certain things um, and and sort of knowing, and I agree, up and down, because if it's constant horror, then it's all of a sudden not, it loses its effect. It's a point of diminishing returns, really. Um, the horror is that. So it's, it's sort of leveraging that. Reading the room and knowing when things are going too far. I don't know that I've ever, I can't think of any time that I've ever been in a situation where anybody's ever had to read for an X card. But I think... I think that sort of striking while that iron's hot, you got to read the room, you've got to see it in their eyes and know when it's really hitting hard. And then you have to also be able to kind of get that vibe of like, is there an uncomfortable, is that an uncomfortable vibe? Or is this a, I'm really, I'm really hitting it right here. And that, that is, I think the point, it's a, it's a fine, nice edge. Um, trying to, to get that because it's so easy to go one way or the other. Um, but yeah, definitely have to read the room. Yeah, Josh is absolutely right. And, and this is one of the reasons that horror is hard uh, as a GM compared to other genres is you really have to be in tune with what your players are, are feeling at any given moment to know where to go with it. 
the key thing about horror is learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, but it's such a fine line to walk. Yeah, for sure. That's half what makes it fun. So um, that kind of jumps right into the next question from Alpha, which is, um, so it's very easy to substitute gore for horror. In descriptive roleplay, is it effective or appropriate to do this to evoke unease, discomfort, or outright disgust? And if not, why? Um, let's start with you, Josh. Sure. I mean, it's a type of horror. It's not my kind of favorite sort of horror, but uh, body horror is definitely a thing. Uh, of course, it. Of course, it's 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 good. I know that that's a thing that can affect people different ways, but. Um, Again, it's another thing that's really easy. You know, the last thing you want to be doing is like making your game into a Cannibal Corpse album cover, if you know what I mean. Um, it's just not what you want to do. I mean, maybe if that's the type of game, it's just not the game that I like to play. Again, um, not even like Mark Borg. Well, okay, so yeah, Mark Borg really can lean itself into that, but you just, it's just one of those things where, where there's just different styles. I guess it's one of the things you have to have. That's again, just bring it back to session zero where you have to speak to your players. You have to know what they're into. Some people really want to do that. I, I think if I had a players uh, that wanted to play a game where it was just a bloodbath, then I would probably be not a great GM for that. But uh, it's just a different genre of horror, right? Right on. Makes sense. Um, so how about you, Gavin? Yeah, I, I think Josh hit on a lot of it. I will also say that, uh, again, being actually you know a real horror whip, no horror movies, gore really is not my thing. My games, in general and in horror, tend to be pulpier. Uh, that said, uh, some people enjoy it. I think that if you're going to run a gore-heavy game, you have an obligation to make that very clear to everybody who's playing. Uh, if you're a player who intends to bring a lot of gore into the game, again, you got to have that talk first because it is, you know, an on-off kind of thing for some people. You can do it well. Uh, you can do it well with a lot of the same stuff we've been talking about here, reading the room, keeping the level moving, and uh, probably a lot of the strategies we'll refer to or talk about tonight uh, would go well with sort of body horror, heavy gore horror. Um, it's just not a subgenre that I've ever felt any particular attraction to. Makes sense. Um, anything to add, Leah? Um, sort of. I, I'm also on the fence about it. Like, I don't really get into gore, and I find that if you use it too much, then it stops being like a horror game and starts just being gross, and it takes me out of that. And it, anything that takes you out of it, especially for this genre, is bad. But it is a, like an important tool. You can use it just a little bit just to add some oomph to a, a particular scene or two. Not go overboard. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Um, so Dwan actually raised a really good question that ties into this too. Um, so finding strategies to be able to read the room um, or when you've gone too far, that kind of thing. But when you specifically when you're playing online, um, any uh, any advice for that, Leah? I think it is definitely something you want to more check in with your players more often than if you can have them there in the room and can check in more. If you have find someone's going like really quiet and has vanished, that might be a tip off that something's off, or so than with yeah. games. But I don't know if I have any specific suggestions because I'm still friendly at it myself. Yeah, no worries. So how about you, Gavin? Any recommendations? 
Yeah. Um, so one thing that I've done is, uh, because I firmly believe that pretty much any GM problem can be solved by 3x5 cue cards, is uh, mark down all your players' names or your, their characters' names or both, because then it's a helpful uh, visual aid there too. Put them out next to you, and whenever a new sort of player takes over a scene, move their card up to the top. Uh, and this doesn't just work for horror, by the way. This works for all the, all the games. And what you're looking for is, are there any characters that are falling off the bottom or spending a lot of time at the bottom of your sort of uh, row of cue cards? Because if they are, that's a pretty good sign that either they are you know, not comfortable with what's going on or they're just bored and they've disconnected. And either way, you should be trying to figure out what that is. Uh, it is really hard to read the room online. Sometimes you can hear it in people's voices. Sometimes you can't. Even if cameras are on, it can be tricky. There's nothing wrong as a GM with just saying, hey guys, it's going to take a quick pause and I uh, just want to make sure everybody's doing okay. Uh, if, uh, if there's anything you want toned down or picked up or any thoughts, shoot me a quick PM. Because the nice thing about like private messages or direct messages is that somebody can just reach out to you on their own. And I think as long as you encourage that and all, as long as you make a point that it's expected that they do so, if there's an issue, uh, that can help a lot. Nice. Yeah, for sure. So how about you, Josh? Yeah, so I'll echo all of that. It is definitely a challenge. Um, if you have cameras, you can see body language. You can hear it in their voice sometimes if you're pretty familiar with people. Um, I mean, I'm going to say exactly what Gavin said. Um, not necessarily the cue cards, but I often will take, I'll take breaks, and Gavin can speak to this, in my Mass and I Laugh campaign. There's been several points where the material is going to touch on things that I've foreseen as having potential consequences that might make people uncomfortable. So in those breaks, I'll, you know, I've even said, please just shoot me a message and I'll see what I can do, that type of thing, to just try to address that and preempt anything. But uh, I've also gone through the, the process of sort of Letting everybody know that, you know, when things are particularly bad, sort of an idea of what to expect. Um, there's nothing better than just being on speaking terms with your players. You people should feel comfortable to come to you, and they shouldn't take that responsibility upon themselves. If something is uncomfortable, they should also take that. They shouldn't suffer in silence. They should come to you. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Um... Alex was also asking, um, what's your experience bringing common or uncommon phobias into the game? So, um, does anyone, anyone want to jump on that one in terms of... Not sure. I like to lean on those things, to be honest. I, I really do, because that is a thing that... So, okay, I like to lean on it within reason. Like, I, I need to know... Again, that's another one of those things where a player has to let me know, like, I am so afraid of spiders that I'm going to have a heart attack if you start talking about spiders. You know, and if that's the case, then you know, like maybe you should reconsider the genre of horror. But <laughs> the other thing is, like, it, you know, common, phobia, common phobias, they're, they're, so, they're so used in horror. It's such a trope. It's one of those things, and, and really leaning on those things. I've done that so many times in games like Ten Candles. Uh, insects, that's where they use the body horror, like the invasion of the body, like laying eggs and stuff like that. Like those types of things are common and, and it's just such a thing that really evokes dread. Yeah. So and that's where it comes down to, are you looking to play, are you looking to play a fun horror game, sort of like a bit of a light horror game, or are you looking to truly play a, a dark horror game where you're actually trying to evoke that 
visceral response from your players. Yeah. Do you have a like a specific um, experience that you remember using um, like someone's phobia or your own? Sure. Or yeah. So there's uh, I say that about ten candles in, in insects because I knew one time I was playing. Uh, a game with member who had a who was definitely like nervous about insects, um, and, and it made them uncomfortable. And I kind of knew that going in, but I didn't make it egregious. But what the monsters ended up being was that like, they would be bugs, so like they would feel them scaring behind them. Um, you know, when the light didn't flash on them, it would drop on their back and they could feel it like going along. Or they would find a dead body where there would be like a thousand larvae kind of crawling just under the skin. To the point where the player was actually like getting up and pacing and like pulling at their shirt, not in an uncomfortable way, but like this is like truly genuinely horrifying. And I'm like, to me, I was like, all right, I'm loving this. This is, this is what is, this is the definition of horror game. Good stuff. So how about Yulia uh, or Gavin? Do you guys have any specific examples or want to talk about it? Uh, sure, I can. Uh, unless Leah won. <laughs> go ahead, Leah. Okay. Oh, go nope, for you're it. up. Go for <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have any specific examples, but I do think that it's, phobias are definitely the bread and butter of the genre because I think one of the best ways to make something scary is to take something in real life that's already uh, unsettling and turn it up to 11. Though I think that using uh, lesser known phobias is sometimes more useful than your go-to stuff like snakes and spiders and stuff. I prefer to use things like uh, mannequins. Mannequins will freak people right out. <laughs> so yeah, just uh, a couple quick thoughts on that. Uh, the, I will say that this is where the Lions Veil safety tool comes in really handy, by the way. Uh, check it out. It allows players to just mark things out of bounds or partially out of bounds. But one thing I will say uh, about using phobias or anything else in a horror game is, to my way of thinking, if, if you're kind of running an effective horror game, there's going to be a lot of foreshadowing. There's going to be some clues as to what's coming up where they may not know everything, but they'll have maybe some idea that there's going to be something there that's already hopefully creeping them out. It's not just a matter of they walk into their you know house one day and blah, a giant spider drops from the ceiling and attacks them because as horror goes, that's probably not going to get you anywhere. So if you're building that tension and giving them some clues or showing them some evidence ahead of time, it does provide time for people to... Hey, hey, is this going, you know, in an eight-legged spider direction? Because I'm a little weirded out by that. And then you you pivot on the fly, and suddenly it's not, you know, the horrible spider creature. It's now the horrible scorpion creature and the horrible cricket creature, which frankly is a little more interesting anyway. And off you go. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good point. Switch up a little bit. Um, yeah. So um, I was always really curious about horror in uh, long-term campaigns compared to just uh, horror just for one shots. Do you guys have any experience or any things you've learned from uh, from long term horror campaigns? And uh, Josh, we'll start with you. Sure. I've been running Mass of My Life for two years. Um, it is drip, it's, it's the drips and drabs. Uh, so when you're playing a one shot, oftentimes it's fast and furious. Um, it, it, it really ramps up and you run the whole gamut of, the, of what a long term game really is. There are points in mass where there are 
a lot of there's there's seven sessions of investigation. There's weirdness. There's creeping around. There is like slowly picking at those threads and finding or in bits and pieces until it kind of reaches a crescendo where everything kind of comes to a head and it's just right in your face type of thing. Um, it, it's, it's really so much, it's such a pacing thing in a long-term game. And if you've only ever run one shots, it's so easy to, to not strike that balance. I've struggled with it a lot because I've run so many one shots. Uh, and I always wondered as to how to do that, but it's just a matter of, again, you got Interesting. Yeah, that pacing's coming up again. Um, how about uh, you, Gavin? So one thing that I will say is I, I think that certain subgenres of horror lend themselves to one-shots and vice versa, far more so uh, in this particular genre, whereas stuff like fantasy and science fiction, you can generally run a lot of your subgenres in either one. Horror is tough because, as Josh said, it's very much about pacing but also about tone. Uh, horror one-shots are a great place to run like the B-movie style horror. Uh, one game I ran for uh, uh, the, the local community here was uh, the uh, RV Park Shark Attack, and, or sorry, RV Park Zombie Shark Attack, where the players were basically inhabitants of a small town trying to get out as the town flooded and they were attacked by zombie sharks. Uh, so high body count, lots of character turnover, but it's a one-shot, so nobody's getting that attached and it has that kind of schlocky feel that you get with a one-shot. Uh, conversely, for like a long campaign, you really want to tend towards, as Josh said, that slower burn. Um, one genre that came up in the chat earlier today was conspiracy horror. And this is something that you really have to do as a long campaign because it's that slow encroaching dread as opposed to, you know, maybe zombie shark jumps up and snares you and pulls you down out of the canoe. So yeah, you really want to consider your subgenre and the type of horror you're trying to accomplish uh, when you're looking at a one-shot versus a long campaign. You really want to make sure you choose accordingly. Very hard to do conspiracy horror in a one-shot, um, and players will burn out on a B-movie high-fatality campaign and campaign if you try to run it twice a month for two years. Makes sense. How about you, Leah? I think uh, if you're going to... Variety is definitely your friend. A Monster of the Week sort of campaign is definitely helpful in that scenario. So if you're, if you're going to have like a monster one week and a monster the next week, you want it to be opposite ends of the horse spectrum if you can. Even if you're not doing like actual monsters per se. Makes sense. Different if you can without getting like outside the bounds of what genre is actually picked. One thing I wanted to just add on too is... is I think with tone and in terms of a long-term campaign, one of the things that makes horror really good and a way to do that is to have characters invested in your world. And that goes for any RPG. But the thing is, when players are invested in your world, they care about the NPCs. They care about the world. It's a really cruel thing to say, but the truth is it's just another way of kind of, you know, it's targets as a GM, right? Think the major's house in, in mass. Um, where they had a whole house staff, they had everybody, uh, it was Al- it was Alex, he had this whole backstory of everything, and he had everything, and it was just really, it was, it was a thing that really was built up, but it was something that was just, it's just another avenue 
even when the players are high powered, like in a DD game, for example, you can always go for the, their loved ones who are not, which is an entirely different side of horror. Absolutely. Speaking of which, um, Kieran was asking for a good example of horror instead of like excessive gore and that kind of thing. Um, so, um, Gavin, how about you? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of the less is more kind of uh, approach to horror. So uh, as an example of something gory, and I won't go into the details because it's not really my thing, but uh, Party is, you know, uh, exploring an abandoned house in a, in a town where everybody's gone missing and it's gone quiet off the map, and they walk upstairs and the you know entire bathroom is smeared with blood top to bottom and it's disgusting and etc that's gore where i'd be more likely to go is you come upstairs uh the bathroom like the rest of the house is is sparkling clean uh, somebody obviously put a lot of love and time into keeping this house clean and kept up the only thing that you can see out of place is two drops of blood in the center of the white tile bathroom floor uh, a second later, you notice the shower curtain shift, even though the bathroom window is closed. What do you do? That conveys, you know, more sort of immediate concern than the blood everywhere, which at that point, you've kind of seen the worst. So what's there to get scared of at that point? Um, I like little bits that then just get the players thinking in their own heads about what they don't know about. Makes sense. Um, how about you, Leah? I completely agree with the sort of less is more thing. In fact, uh, one of the scarier things is when there isn't anything there, like a shark attack versus something is in the water with you. Even if you never actually see what that thing is, can be infinitely scarier. Makes sense. Um, I lost my spot. <laughs> so, um, I'm just going to jump into this one then. Um, how would you guys... Uh, create opportunities for and encourage player agency in uh, in RPG scenarios or horror RPG scenarios. Um, let's start with you, Gavin. Um, so yeah, I, I really like this question uh, because to me, this is comes to the core of what makes RPG and horror games difficult. Is horror is all about taking away agency from the characters. Um, pretty much every subgenre of horror is in some way uh, defined by, you know, a greater power or an unknown power uh, taking agency away from characters. The problem is, is for RPGs, to me anyway, one of the worst things you can do is take away agency from your players. So it really is that very much balancing act of you want to make the characters feel like they're overmatched, desperate, isolated, all the good, you know, confused, all the good things that go into horror, but you don't want necessarily the PCs to feel that way either. Um, so yeah, the agency in horror games is hard. It takes a lot of communication, it takes a lot of reading the room, like I said, but that to me is, is the core of a horror game, taking away agency from the characters without taking it away from the players. Interesting. Think outside the box. Um, so, how about Julia? I think one of the major things that I use is like having lots of clues of stuff around or making the characters go where you need to go and like allowing them to walk into the trap. Like, okay, do you go down the hallway? 
do you open the door? Like, parcel it out like that so they need to walk into the horror with open eyes sort of thing. Yeah, totally. How about you, Josh? So, Gavin really hit it on the head. Um, striking that balance between agency, uh, the player, and the character is so hard. It, honestly, I won't, I won't pull any punches here. Horror GMing really is GMing on expert mode a lot of time. It's hard um, to do that because it's one of the key things of a character. People are very precious, but their characters oftentimes not Gavin, but most people. Um, so the other thing is, I in one of the tips about um, so like I love I love actual we're talking about physical room, but I love playing in dark room. I love like background music, just slight kind of background music. Um, one of the things that I think I'm going to say for a horror game is don't pull punches with the players. Let their consequences, let their actions have consequences. Don't be afraid to let their your characters hang themselves with the noose that they made uh, on their own. You know what I mean? Like they should have consequences. And um, yeah, totally, totally kind of lean into that sort of thing. Don't be un. Well, I mean, you know what? Even being unfair sometimes is 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 kind of part of the game. Um, but interesting. Um, don't again. It's it's everything in, in moderation, really. With with horror gaming, if you go too far in any direction, it's probably going to have the unintended consequences of not being what you expect. Okay. Um. So on the note of horror being difficult to GM and things like that, um, Alpha was asking about uh, evoking horror, terror, and vulnerability in combat-focused games. Um, is it just a pipe dream, or can a good GM pull it off? So Josh, right back to you on that one. Tricky one. Um, I think that what you have to do, if I was going to do that, I would say if you're really going for like a true horror game, um, as opposed to like action horror type of thing, do something that again evokes vulnerability in the character. Those characters that twelfth level fighter all of a sudden for some reason, maybe they are playing off their biggest fears. Maybe for some reason in their sleep, they are fighting um something that haunts them in their dreams and they can't fight it. And all of those, their tips and their tricks and everything that they can rely on that they've known and they can hang their hat on at the end of the day turns on its head and it's no good. All of a sudden that fighter has to address that sort of thing and, and hacking out of the sword is no longer an option. Makes sense. So how about you, Leah? Any, uh, any advice? I don't actually have any advice. I don't think, uh, I'm at the level of GM for that, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no worries. How about you, Kevin? Um, so, I guess, as a general statement, I probably wouldn't try to do it. Uh, to me, horror really requires that sense of, you know, dread and then the inability to just be able to shoot or stab your way out of it. That said, uh, I think it can be done. I think it's very tricky because you end up with a situation where you need to somehow allow combat to be you know a good chunk of your game but it can't be the thing that wins it for them uh, the one scenario that i've seen it done well in and i i haven't tried it but uh, i played with a gm who did and this was in uh, pathfinder and it was very well done was one where essentially in short form demons possess the entire population of your home village 
And now you're in a situation where, yes, there's combat because they're trying to kill you, but you know for a fact that you can exercise these demons, whereas if, you know, you kill the person attacking you, they're just dead, the demon goes off and grabs another body from somewhere else. So combat's not going to win it for you, but you still have to engage in it to keep, you know, your friends and family from being made demon fodder. Uh, that can work as a horror element, uh, but even even there it's tough because then you still need a kind of non-combat solution to actually get them through the horror scenario, and that can just leave a lot of characters out in a combat-centric game. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so uh, Alpha also says that we've been talking a whole lot about horror, but what about supernatural, and what's the difference um, so, Leah, how about you? I think it all comes down to mood. Like, supernatural elements are fantastic. I use them in almost everything. But uh, having a ghost there is not necessarily a, make, makes it, making it a horror story unless you've got a certain number of other elements. And those are kind of subjective. It's what you, what you do with it. That makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to think of like actual examples because like it's different. It's not quite the right answer, but it's like uh, uh, that agency and whether you can go toe-to-toe with the ghost or talk to the ghost and it will send you on a different quest or something. That's a different genre that is the, sh- the supernatural versus a uh, uh, horror story. For sure. It's like uh, Ghostbusters versus... Um... I can't even think of a, uh, a scary uh, ghost or ghost-based movie right now. But uh, yeah, how about uh, you, Josh? Um, sorry, I just uh, I I had a bit of a technical issue. Can you just repeat the question for me? Yeah, no problem. Um, so, what's the difference between um, horror and supernatural, or some of the similarities? How would you uh, run them in role-playing games, actually? So they often overlap. Um, it's it's kind of hard to say with. But supernatural, yeah, so things like ghosts, but it doesn't necessarily... So supernatural doesn't have to necessarily... It can be eerie, but it doesn't necessarily have to be hostile. Like, I think horror can be that oftentimes. So sometimes sort of like the the haunted the haunted crypt, um, where the ghost is sort of a, a spirit not at rest, rather than a malevolent poltergeist or something to that effect. Um, or... For example, um, yeah, like the, like the the creatures of myth and that sort of thing, um, leaning into those types of things. But I, I think that they're they're really oftentimes they kind of go hand in hand with each other. So uh, I, I don't know honestly that I've run too many games that I would describe as being supernatural so much. I'm just trying to think. No, yeah, <laughs> no worries. Um, how about you, Gavin? Um, so yeah, I, I and. This is how I define it myself in my own head. I don't know if it's an actual definition of it's valid or not. But to me, the big difference between supernatural and horror is power levels. Uh, in horror, the power level is asymmetric. Whatever the evil thing is, uh, classes, generally the protagonist is unknown to them, is extremely dangerous. Whereas with supernatural games, the same elements of sort of uh, the supernatural exist. And when I say supernatural, I mean there is a world above or below the world we know. So there's a natural, which is kind of the world we all live in and know, or a world of that type. And then the supernatural, which stands above or below it in a secret. 
supernatural games tend to put the protagonists and the antagonists on, if not similar power levels, they give the protagonists some power and some knowledge. So like Vampire the Masquerade, I would say is a supernatural game. Um, you play as vampires, you know about the Masquerade, the great vampiric conspiracy, you're a part in it, even though your antagonists are also supernatural in nature. Um, but games where you're playing as, you know, a mundane human facing off with vampires, probably or possibly going to be more of a horror bent. Uh, that's usually how I make that division. Horror requires an asymmetric power level. Uh, supernatural generally assumes protagonists have at least some power and knowledge of their own in the supernatural world. So something like, you would say, like, Salem's Lot for Vampires versus, say, what would be, yeah, like... I Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Blade. Blade, or, yeah, Buffy the yeah. Vampire Slayer, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Nice, makes sense. Okay. Um, so, um, I'm kind of thinking about a question right now, <laughs> just forming it in my head. Um, how would you guys run um, different subgenres of, uh, of horror relative to each other, um, kind of going on that theme. Um, how about you, Josh? So, yeah, I mean, I think um, there's lots of different subgenres. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Um, so, you know, you have your cosmic horror, which is you kind of un unraveling or peeling back the layers of an onion of things that you're not really supposed to know or see. And your body, but more than your body, sort of your mind and your mental state is sort of at risk of these types of things. And that obviously the, the thing there is Call of Cthulhu. Um, Call of Cthulhu is, is sort of the, the, the flagship, but then you get into things like that with Shadows of Astron and other games like that as well. Um, there's other ones where you have more rooted in real world kind of horror, like Bluebeard's Bride, where there are sort of fantasy elements to it or fantastical elements to it, but it's really, it's, it's the game that really, um, there's sort of that balance of sort of power and, and weirdness. And it's just, it's, it's a game I've, ne I've only played once and I've never run, but it's just such a unique, it's such a unique game in that sense that it really is. I think when I was playing with people from Magpie at Gen Con, Somebody had mentioned something that it's, it's, it's a different style of horror. It's like almost a feminine type of horror in a way that it's... And what I guess I mean by that is that it the things that a lot of games kind of go towards, as a guy, I'm hesitant to run it because it's hard to incorporate it, get my head around that type of thing because I find that game, it's, it's just one of those games where you have um, things that sort of might not, I wouldn't even think to, I wouldn't even think would bother me type of thing. So it's such a challenge. Um, and then I'm just trying to think what other games there are. Um, I mean, yeah, you have like more board, which is sort of like D&D &D with horror elements and that sort of thing as well. So there's lots of different genres that you can definitely do that. Yeah, for sure. So how about you, yeah? I think despite me being the only person to say that you don't necessarily need a system, uh, picking the right system for what you're trying to do is definitely helpful. And within that, this is my answer to everything, but I think leaning on your tropes, build up a specific type of scary story is definitely important. Sure. Makes sense. Um, and Gavin? 
so I think what you really want to do to and Lee is absolutely right by the way like hammering those tropes and you really want to take those tropes of the subgenre and make sure that they are also part of your antagonist. So you want to know, you know, not just <laughs> this is going to sound very, very pretentious. So you you want to know not just why the monster or or if the monster is killing people. You want to know why they're killing people. That kind of thing. And, and more to the point, you want to know what's driving them so that you can mirror that through the rest of your campaign um, and, and, and build in those elements, even if they're not clues. So if you're, you know, running a campaign about urban werewolves, you probably want to slip in references to the moon and maybe to, you know, blood and have barking dogs everywhere and that kind of thing. And that will both reinforce the, the subgenre and make, you know, make it make sense when the werewolves show up. Uh, if you really, yeah, like Leah said, hit the tropes in your subgenre and tie them into your major threat, um, I, I think that really can help to differentiate one subgenre from another. Don't be afraid of your tropes, and I think that pretty much goes for most games, to be honest, but it really goes for this as well. Yeah, yeah so that uh, kind of leads into, um, do you guys have any recommendations for either horror or supernatural games? Um, which ones are your favorites, why do you like them, that kind of stuff? And uh, um, I guess I'm going to start with Josh. Sure. Uh, if you're going to do a one-shot, I think I've never played a game that really hits that, like 10 candles. You're playing in the dark, and it's getting gradually darker and darker and darker, and it's hopeless. It's really great. I'm obviously going to plug Call of Cthulhu, even though that is sort of uh, kind of... That's sort of what I'm known for doing, so it's not really a, a great system. Um, you know, it's a bit of a, an easy answer for me. Um... Yeah, I think those are the two for me, for now, off the top of my head anyway. For sure. Um, how about you, Gavin? Uh, okay, so I, for anyone who's ever chatted with me, you know I could do, probably do this all night to ad nauseum until no one was listening, so I'm going to restrict myself to three. Uh, first one I've already posted in the channel. I will post the other two uh, as soon as I stop talking to but first one is Dead of Night, and this is a... RPG that's built specifically for B-movie and slasher horror. Uh, so it's fast character generation. It's, you know, meant for one-shots or probably mini-campaigns more so than the long campaign. It's what I use to run that RV park trailer shark attack. Uh, stats are very, very simple. And the very cool thing about it is you have your hit points and your ability to affect the story are the same thing. So every time you do something cool in the story, you're bringing yourself that much closer to the GM just ending your character's life and handing you uh, second one I'm going to recommend is Monster of the Week. I've recommended this one before on here, but I'm always going to. This is powered by the Apocalypse, uh, literally Monster of the Week horror. So, make, you know, you're the plucky group of teenagers or intrepid band of monster hunters, and you go around protecting people from horrible folklore creatures. Uh, it's very, very genre tight. Uh, they do a lot of fun rule stuff, and I. My personal opinion is it's one of the better Powered by the Apocalypse games out there. Uh, last up is Dread. And Dread, I want to mention, just because of the uniqueness of its primary game mechanic, this is an RPG that you play with a Jenga tower. And it's essentially collaborative storytelling. The Jenga tower is up. Anytime you want your character to, do, character to do something dangerous, you have to draw a block, put it on top, just like Jenga. 
if you knock over the tower, your character dies. So it's a really great game for like high stakes horror. Uh, and it gets so tense because the further in you go, the more likely it is that anything you try to do is going to get your character killed as that tower starts wobbling away. I think um, oh, that show uh, that Will Wheaton does um, did a really good actual play of Dread um, that's worth checking out too. Um, yeah. If anyone remembers what, uh, what that show was called. Tabletop? Is that the one? Uh, yeah, I think it was on Tabletop. Yeah. Right. Nice. So how about you, Leah? Any games you'd recommend? The Wall Choice, because it's definitely more supernatural than horror and not really intended to be this, but Blaze in the Dark is one of my favorites. The setting of the world is definitely reliant on there being ghosts and creepy stuff there, and when it's played well, I think those elements are great to have. That one's my favorite, personally. Nice. Yeah, that's definitely a really good choice. I wanted to just point out, I just thought of it again. I, I know I haven't, I already brought it up, but seriously, check out Bluebeard's Bride. It is a great game. It is really going to throw you for a loop. Uh, it's unlike any other game I've ever played before, and it's really going to take you out of your comfort zone. Nice. I actually, yeah, I'm really interested in, in playing that sometime, but um, I, obviously, I'm a dude. I would maybe have an inter- or like a interesting reaction dealing with the themes and stuff in it. Um, so it's making me wonder about um, the themes of like women in horror and the supernatural and things like that. Um, uh, Leah, do you want to like reflect on on some ideas that might be related to um, women in in horror and um, like oh. horror themes? There's definitely a lot to be said on like vulnerability is very much uh, like it's definitely evoked. Um, you know, there's a lot of like social aspects I think that will affect women more than most men, but not across the board. It's definitely a very personal thing, but I think that's something that it might lean on. I've never actually played with Rick Rider, but it sounds like fun. <laughs> and I think, just from like, knowing what a fairy tale of Bluebeard is, there are elements that I can see being at play. For sure. So how about you, uh, Gavin? Any thoughts? Um, so, yeah, very few, uh, in as much as this is, just from where I stand, not my space to, to talk on as such. Um, Definitely, I've I've been there with Josh. I have several games on my shelf that I've I've read through that um, I think would be excellent games to play. I'm just not sure, both in the horror genre and not that I'm the right person to run them. Uh, I'm just kind of looking at them as they are here. If I ever hear somebody in the community who's interested in running one of them, they're certainly welcome to borrow my copy. Uh, what I am really, really happy about is the number of games coming out that are addressing uh, these themes, again, horror genre and not, and that that really does show kind of a diversification of our hobby. Uh, I know, uh, or I shouldn't speak for anyone else, but for those of us who've been around it for a long time, uh, we've been able to see that diversification happen, and uh, it's been just such a great thing, not just the new GMs and players flooding into the hobby, but the new kind of games we're seeing as a result. For sure. 
Um, anything you want to add to that, Josh? Yeah, so I'm going to really just echo what Gavin said. I almost had the heart. I had a game set up for Blue Year's Pride, and I just didn't think it was my space to do it. I didn't think that I could do it. The justice said it needed to be done. I might eventually get to do that, but I really would need to play it more. It's really outside of my level of expertise, knowledge, and, and I think I just need to be a player a couple more times. That's all there is to it, really, and I would really welcome anybody to try to do that, but it's probably not going to be under me for the first bit. For sure. Yeah. Cool. So um, there's another question that came up from uh, Spartacus. Um, so speaking of agency, do you ever run a horror scenario with a time limit or a turn countdown? Um, so Gavin, how about you? Um, yeah. So I, I might be the wrong person to ask because I think some people here would tell you that uh, I have a bit of a hurry up style of GMing at the best of times where if I think you know, per analysis paralysis is setting in, or the players are going around in circles, I will just drop, you know, clowns, ninjas, and or ghosts into the room just to get them moving again. Uh, I've never run with a ticking clock. It's an interesting idea. Uh, my concern there is that uh, I, I, I think it's a good thing to have in some cases. In others, you know, maybe it's going to lead to too much anxiety. Again, when I do horror, I'm usually aiming more at scaring the players, or sorry, scaring, scaring the characters uh, than I am scaring the players. And I know being on a ticking clock is anxiety-inducing for me, so I probably wouldn't set it on anyone else. Um, how about you, Leah? I'm going to do that. It needs to be in a very specific circumstance. You, you, you want to have a reason for it to be there and have it be like a one shot or something where it's like a gimmick. Okay. Um, how about you, Josh? Yeah, I totally got it. Hundred percent. Did it. Um, um, I did it in Madison. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but uh, basically came down to somebody who was having a bit of analysis paralysis, and one of the big bads was like they had two characters who were precious and near and dear to them, and they said, you get to choose who lives and dies, and if you have 15 seconds, and if you don't make that choice, I'm going to make the choice, I'm going to take it from you. And I actually started a physical clock, and they didn't choose. I flipped a coin, and it was out of their hands. That's intense. So do you think that worked out well? Like, did the player react well to that? or I think... I think so. I remember that night, and that was part of a larger thing, actually, Gavin being there. It was part of a larger thing. Um, the whole group was fired up until 2 a.m. sending messages about that whole situation. Sounds good. So we're getting close to the end of the hour here. Um, is there anything else any of you guys wanted to uh, to mention regarding like supernatural or horror that didn't get covered? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. actually, just one more thought. Uh, when you're running horror games and Supernatural, but definitely horror, you want to consider reconsider all that GM advice that goes into other types of games. Uh, there's lots that can be reversed or changed, but a big one for me, uh, you know, that old truth of never split the parties, you know, as a GM, don't let them split up. As players, you shouldn't split up. Horror games, you absolutely want them to split up because that's how you get to do horrible things to them when, you know, when they're separated and isolated and vulnerable. Um, so 
a lot of the, the sort of GM truisms and the, the words of wisdom kind of thing may not actually apply to the horror genre because it is that very different twist on telling stories. So I think you really want to think about that when you're running. Yeah, yeah it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think the only other thing that I wanted to mention too, Grim Grimly was asking if anyone has played Darkest Dungeons before um, and with the stress system and that kind of stuff. But I would definitely plug uh, Torchbearer because I've heard a lot of people saying that that game is basically Darkest Dungeon in an RPG form. And there's debate as to which one came first. So Cool. And uh, yeah, if there's nothing else... Um, so thanks for our uh, awesome panelists and uh, everyone that submitted questions and just everyone that showed up. It's been awesome. Um, yep, another seminar coming up. Um, I'm not sure exactly when, but it's all about uh, D&D 5th edition one-shots and running that. So that should be a really popular topic. Just one more point, sorry, on the horror, and I just wanted to kind of bring this up. Yeah. GM truisms. First off, I'm going to say less is more, really, in horror. And the other thing is... Like any game, really get to know your players. Know your players because you get a two-prong, two sides of the same coin. You can really get to know them. You can read the body language. You know if you're potentially getting too far. But at the same time, if you know your players really well, you can read the body language and you know when you can really go for it and when you're really getting it. So make a good rapport with your players. Have a good open conversation. That's the way to go. Hey, uh, it's Alpha. I just wanted to kind of uh, jump in here, um, just as a correction on the next uh, on, on the next seminar. So the next seminar is actually on June 10th, and it is on the art and science of game prep. Okay, and uh, Stephen will be our moderator, and we've got Devin, Gavin, and Sarah uh, doing the, uh, the 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 panelist over there. So if you can join us on June the tenth, that'd be great. Uh, the other thing I also wanted to shout out, um, I really wanted to say a big thank you to Hofton uh, because this is his kind of first time uh, being a moderator for us, and he was kind enough to kind of volunteer. I know that kind of horror supernatural, uh, he tends to play a lot in, in in that space, so we're really happy to have his expertise kind of. Lead leading us through the discussion. And again, big, big thank you to everyone who's kind of uh, contributed from all the questions and uh, certainly our panelists for all your varied perspectives. In fact, I think today we've probably set a new record for the number of people that actually attended uh, the, the live session. So we've got, I think, almost 20 folks. So that's just amazing. So thanks everyone for coming out and we will see you next time.